He taught many things. And the first thing he taught, he taught uh, that who he was, the one and only unique son of God. Jesus taught us that so clearly that people like killed him on a cross for that. And uh, I remember giving this uh, similar talk in an auditorium of teenagers one time. And what I had done is I had recruited three teenagers and I started to teach about Jesus. And over in this wall, I had a recruited teenager stand up and he just started yelling, he's a liar, he's a liar, I think Jesus is a liar. And he came up here to the front and you could have just heard a pin drop. And then I had another teenager over here recruited and he stood up and said, I don't think he's a liar, I think he's a lunatic. I think Jesus was a lunatic, and he came to the front just going, Jesus is a lunatic. And then I had a third young lady over here stand up and say, I believe he's who he said he was. He's changed my life. He's real. And when someone declares they're the son of God, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, actually the book that our basics Thursday night is teaching right now, teaching from, uh, C.S. Lewis says there's only three choices. Liar, lunatic, or Lord God. Those are the only three choices. If I stood up this morning and said, hey guys, I figured something out. I'm God. You would be like in the back saying, is, is he insane? Has something gone wrong with Dave? Or is he trying to deceive us and manipulate us? And I don't think you would ask this, but is he God? Right? Those are the three choices. Now, one choice as we focus a whole Sunday on Jesus as teacher, we want to be very clear about is that you cannot leave here saying Jesus was only a good moral teacher. It's not an option. When somebody claims to be God, they can't be simply a good moral teacher. They either are God or they're a lunatic or a liar. Uh, the second thing Ed reminded us about in uh, the video was he taught about you and me. And remember, Ed said there's good news and bad news. We were created in the image of God. And then the fall in the garden cost us, caused us to become sinful men and women after Adam and Eve. And then God took action to redeem us back, right? That's a part of the gospel. A part of the gospel. And then the third thing. And in fact, Jesus said this in John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And he invited his disciples into the game after explaining to them who they were, who he was and who they were. And he said, hey, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll give you something important in your life to do. And that's the same invitation Jesus gives you and me today. He says, understand, you were created in my image. Understand, I've invited you into the game of making a difference on this planet while you're here. Understand that I want you in my game of building my kingdom. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to do something. So come, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll give you something very significant to do. And the third thing Ed talked about was um, he mentioned in the video that um, uh, he, it, Jesus did a lot of teaching about who, how you and I are to live. And it's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. It's like um, uh, simple but not easy. Uh, love your neighbor. Simple, not easy. Love your enemy. Simple, not easy. Fear not. Simple, but not easy. All of these principles of how um, uh, Jesus instructed us to um, live. Now, here's something I'm bringing this morning beyond the video. 
I want you to think about what a master teacher Jesus was. What a master teacher Jesus was. If you go to you and I and get a four or five year degree and um, you're learning how to be a teacher, I think you can sum up. I did that, by the way. <clears throat> I think you can sum it up in three points. Number one, the first point is this. A great teacher is someone who knows the content. The truth, right? I can't teach reading if I don't know how to read. I can't teach geography if I don't know geography. I can't teach business if I don't know business. So the first thing a good teacher, a great teacher has to do is know the content. But that's not enough. There's a whole bunch of people who know the content, who can't teach their way out of a wet paper bag. And why is that? The reason is because they don't know the audience. And so you got to not only know the content, you got to know the audience. What do these people already know? What are these people open to learn? What can they learn at this developmental phase? What questions are they asking that I... you got to know the audience. And then a really good teacher simply adjusts the content that they're teaching to the audience. So you're teaching a three-year-old in your home? This is the process. What truth do you want to teach? What can they hear and understand and implement? And I'm going to adjust what I want to teach uh, to what a three-year-old can know. College freshmen, there's a whole bunch of things they can and a whole bunch of things they can't know. So I know the truth I'm trying to teach. I teach to the level where they are. And then I adjust, right? This is good teaching. Um, high school um, teachers, I let's say I called you last night and said, um, would you teach our high school class this morning? And let's say, uh, out of insanity, you said, yes, I'll do it, Dave, just for you. And then where would you put your focus? Most of you would put all your focus on what content am I going to teach? Mistake. Because you have to also know, where's the head of these teenagers? What are the issues they're dealing with? What can they understand and what can't they understand? And it's the adjustment. So I would say you should have spent 50% of the time on one content and 50% of the time calling a couple high schoolers and asking about what, you, what they're already knowing and thinking. And Jesus was the master of this. The master of this. The rich young ruler comes up to him. He takes one point of view and he presents one set of truth. Nicodemus comes up to him. He presents another set of truth. Jesus was the master of knowing the truth and adjusting what he taught to the hearts of the people. Here's another thing about being a great uh, teacher that, in fact, our teaching team, uh, we don't talk a lot about how we evaluate ourselves in this, but here's one of the evaluations we do on ourselves. Um, It begins when we stand up here on a Sunday morning behind this stand and we have God's word. The first thing we ask is, are we telling God's story? And so we have a, a God's story. Are we telling you God's story? Did God's story come through real clear this morning? And then the second thing um, we ask our teachers is, did you relate to the, the audience's story, your story? Did we, um, did we relate to you? Because it's that same thing. You can know God's story, but if we don't relate it to where you are and what you're facing, then we missed it. And the third story is, did I share with you a part of my story? Because we believe people learn when you pull back the curtain and you learn. And we believe the Holy Spirit can work wherever he wants. But when you have that intersecting three where God's story and your story and my story come together, that's a place the Holy Spirit of God works. He really works there. Now, let's say you do some teaching. Let's say you're a teacher in a public school or let's say you teach one of our small groups on Wednesday night. 
Or let's say you just teach at lunch on Sundays when you're just kind of informally around the kitchen table. This would be another grid you could put on that. Does God's story come up sometimes? Do I listen real closely to their story? And then at times, do I share my own story? And can the Spirit of God work in those places? Now, where I want to take us the rest of the teaching this morning is this different, is this place related to these two things, which is Jesus brought what people needed. And so as I thought about this for this morning's teaching, I thought, you know what's true? I don't know exactly what you need this morning. I don't know exactly what you need. And many of you who walk in, I shake hands at the back a lot of times. Many of you walk in, I wonder as I'm shaking your hand and saying, good morning, I'm glad you're here. I wonder where you are in your in your life, in your heart. And so I've chosen three places, uh, five places where Jesus simply met people where they were. And the first one is this. Jesus brings challenge. Jesus brings challenge. And um, some of you walk in this morning and what you need is challenge. Because your life is going okay. You're kind of in a comfortable place. Um, you have enough money. You have a good job. Your kids are doing okay. And what you need is challenge. And here's the words Jesus used to challenge his own disciples one day. In fact, what he had done is he had been with his disciples and he said, Hey guys, come here. Who do people say I am? And Peter stepped forward and he said, Well, some say you're the Messiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say this. Some say that. And then Jesus was a master. and He said, Well, who do you guys say I am? Who do you say I am? And they said, Uh, Peter stepped up real boldly, which he often did. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, hey, I'll build my church on you. And then the next thing he says is this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Will, will save it. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, and yet lose or forfeit himself? Jesus was always turning things upside down. So he says to his disciples, "Hey, you want to save your life? You want a meaningful, abundant life? You want to like um, make the most of your life? You know how you do it? You lose it." You serve others. You follow me. You give up stuff. So counterintuitive. What our world says over and over is, you want to find your life. You want to be comfortable? Chase after it. You want to be secure? Chase after it. You want to be uh, comfortable? You want to be this? You want to be that? Chase after it. And Jesus flips it on his head. And he says, you want those things? Do what's counterintuitive. Follow me. Surrender your life over and over again. And that's where you'll find life. I need to have this challenge every morning. I really do. Because I'm a goal setter and I like going after things. There comes a time where I need to be very clear. The only thing I'm going to go after is Jesus. That's what I'm going to go after is Jesus. And so uh, uh, if some of you need... uh, I watched several football games this weekend or parts of them. Uh, interesting, you know, that coach right with them beforehand just saying, hey, we can do this, we can do this. Um, that's the challenge Jesus is giving us this morning. So if you walk in and what you really need is challenge, this is probably the piece for you. And Jesus, if you were here, 
He would give this kind of a thing, and then he'd be out in the lobby, and he'd find you one-on-one. He'd look into your eye and say, did you hear the challenge? Did you hear it? It was for you. That's what made Jesus such a master teacher. Okay, now some of you don't need challenge this morning. Some of you need something a little bit different. And I think Jesus brought this quite a bit of times. Uh, It's called Jesus Brings Correction. And actually, uh, this one, this correction Jesus gave, it comes at the end of his life. And um, he's in the upper room. And first he models it. And then he gives correction. Remember this, they're in the upper room, they're going to have, they're having the Passover supper, but Jesus is turning it into what we today call the Lord's Supper. And he passes the bread and says, this is my body, he passes the wine, says, this is my blood. And they're sitting around there. But before that event, remember what he did? He looked around, there was nobody to wash feet. So he took off his robe and uh, he put a towel and he washed their feet. And then he said this, he said this correction. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. Remember where the disciples were before this? They were saying, "Uh, Jesus, who gets to sit at your right hand and who gets to sit at your left hand? Who gets those important places? Could it be me? But Jesus is making this correction. And he's saying, here's the way you're to live your lives. Did you see what I just did, which is wash your feet? That's the way you are to live now. That's the way you're to live. Wash your feet. And so if Jesus had a correction and he were here teaching this morning, and you know, the thing I love is uh, we've got his teaching in the red letter words of the Bible. And so as you read that, he would again teach this and then he'd find you in the lobby, he'd shake your hand, smile. You'd look into his eyes and you would realize he totally loves you. And then he would say, I have a correction for you. You know that washing feet servant thing? That's for you this morning. That's for you. So maybe you don't need challenge. Maybe you need correction. Another thing Jesus brought a lot was a worldview perspective. Jesus brought worldview perspective. Um, Jesus cried out. Let me read this a minute. When a man believes in me, He does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And then Matthew 5, he says this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Here's the perspective. You're called to be a light. A light. Dawn Kelly, I was talking with her. She's right here. Uh, She was running in the uh, Minneapolis Marathon last Sunday. You know, we had, for two Sundays now, we have some people running marathons out of our marathon team. And she was saying it was a rough week. It was beautiful weather, but she was dropping back, back. And in the Minneapolis Marathon, um, there's this bus that if you fall, if you fall slower than a 13-minute mile, I believe it is, that the bus picks you up. And they don't give you a choice. They simply are back there. And if you're slower than 13-minute mile, they say, get in. Get in. Well, Dawn was saying she had dropped back and she could hear the bus behind her. <laughs> kind of a motivator if you're trying to finish the marathon. So um, she was uh, going, going, going. And then she said, I had the privilege. God gave me the privilege 
of grabbing the arms of a couple people and say, come on, we can do it. We can stay ahead of the bus. And uh, she could just encourage some others and encourage them. And what was she doing in that marathon last Sunday? She was being light. You know, being light doesn't mean that I have to name Jesus. It simply means I have to live in a way that honors him. That's what I think it was. She was honoring him. Now, she was naming him with whatever shirt she was wearing, probably, or, uh, you know. Uh, but uh, uh, it's so important that you and I be light. And when we send our kids to school, by the way, let, let's be clear on this. Our kids get to be light in our schools. And they get to be light in kindergarten and first grade and second grade. They get to. I remember our son Joel was in second grade, and obviously this is 30 years ago. And he had a really good friendship with um, one of the kids who had uh, some emotional struggles. And I think it was in second grade, um, this kid had a really, really bad day, and he crawled under a table in the corner under a desk. And the teacher was trying to coerce him to come out, and he wouldn't do it. And little Joel, first or second grade, I, I know my wife will tell me what grade afterwards. Um, uh, he went under the desk with his friend and he talked to him a while and he brought him out. And the teacher was telling us that with tears rolling down her cheeks. And that's just one little picture of being light in a public school. And we get all kinds of pictures like that. This week, this past week, FCA did this uh, football field thing and Adrian Butker and several others had a chance to walk to the center of the field and give a little bit of a testimony. It's bright light. In our own big house on Wednesday night, uh, Nikki Paula invited up one of the kids and simply said, hey, tell us about your faith. Tell us about how you see this. And it was light. We get to be light. You know, I don't know if you've been by the big mural downtown Waterloo where uh, the youth art team, a combination of Cedar Falls kids and Walnut neighborhood kids and some other kids um, with the youth art team had painted that wall. And I, I don't think the wall says anything about God. But I think every time people drive by it, and if they know the story, a little bit of light, a little bit of light. And so Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And show your light. Don't hide it under a basket that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See your good deeds, not so they praise you. See your good deeds, so they praise your Father in heaven. <sighs> Number four, Jesus brings hope and peace. Hope and peace. Uh, Tim taught last week about the role of hope. And uh, I was thinking all week long, what a role fear plays. I get a lump on my neck. And in America today, what do we think? Cancer. Yeah, thank you. I'm, uh, I, one of my arms starts to go numb. And in America today, what do I think? Heart attack. Uh, the Dow goes down 300 points on a day. And what do I think? Financial crash. Someone calls me and says, please call back. Many of us think worst case scenario. We live in a world where we're taught to be afraid. We're taught to be afraid. It's becoming the world we live in. And Jesus says this. Jesus says this, I have told you these things, all that he's told us, and this is later in, in the gospel, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, 
for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, the end of the game, the score's up. My kingdom, a hundred. Satan's kingdom of this world, destroyed. The end of the game is clear. And it's in that clarity that we can live today with peace and hope. Again, I think Jesus would declare this, and some of you who are struggling with a particular fear, he might just grab you in the lobby, give you a hug, and just say, it's going to be okay. The end of the game is done. There's peace and hope last Sunday. I was in the lobby out here, and Pam Van Howen came last Sunday. Some of you know her. She's uh, struggled a lot with cancer. Uh, she was in a wheelchair last Sunday after almost dying the week before or two weeks before. So I got down on my knees with her out in the lobby, and I looked her in the eye, and I said, Pam, how are you? And you know her answer? Dave, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. A week ago, I was surrendered to God. I said, God, if you want to take me, it's okay. It's okay if you take me. Go ahead. But if you let me stay, I'm going to be thankful. And she said, Dave, I want to give a testimony at the Thanksgiving service. I just thought, how powerful. How powerful. Here's a woman struggling to live. And what does she want to do? Besides go back to work. She wants to give a testimony of Thanksgiving. Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Last one. Jesus brings something that we as a church haven't done a great job of bringing, and it's comfort. We've been so big on challenge and so big on correction. We have not been a church that's done much with comfort. Jesus does, though. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not, sir, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He gave this. After he had done the upper room thing and after he had explained to his disciples what was going to happen to him and they were getting all emotionally flooded, and he said, listen, guys, do not let your hearts be troubled. This is a scripture I use often in the fam- with the family before a funeral. I'll often go in lots of times before a funeral. We gather with the family in one of our rooms and I'll often read this and say, these are Jesus' words to you and your loved ones. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also with me. There's a place, a future for you. So, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you needed when you came to church. I don't know what you needed the Spirit to speak to you this morning. But if we teach the red letters, words of the Gospels, Jesus knows what you need. And if you don't get it here, it's okay. Go home and open up a gospel and look for those red letter words and look and see what he has for you this morning. For he's not only the son of God, he's a master teacher also. I'll pray. Father God, thank you so much, so much for how Jesus came and lived and taught. Thank you for his teachings. Thank you that they've been saved for us. Thank you that they show up in the red letter words of the gospel. 
Thank you that uh, he has all kinds of words for all kinds of places in our journey. Father, help us uh, lift up these words. Help us know these words. Help us let them impact us. And Father, now as we respond in worship to um, what you've done, help us worship you. Uh, Whether we sing or not, help the words lead and guide our thinking as we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.